Welcome to Polynodal, where we explore the depth and breadth of human knowledge and see how it all connects. Each episode is inspired by a previous topic, creating a network of knowledge nodes. This time, Daniel talks about the difference between right and wrong. What do you boys know about the first flight at Kitty Hawk? Ooh. It only lasted not that long. 17, <laughs> 17 seconds or something. Nine seconds. I don't even know, but it was not that impressive. I thought it was like 22, and it was, it was only like... One dollar, like Bob. A couple hundred yards. I'm gonna couple, win. couple, couple football fields worth. The old U.S. standard measurement of football field. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll use anything but the metric system to measure stuff. Okay, right. hold up. What do I really? <laughs> Literally, anything. it's what ten really washing machines long. <laughs> <laughs> what do I know about the first flight on Kitty Hawk? Uh, or Orville was, and Wilbur yeah. Wright? A. Yeah. Bicycle. They were bicycle people. They made bicycles. They did make bicycles. At the time. Yeah. Sure. These uh, could turn, all be turn, facts. It was actually their. Turn those into airplanes. It was also their sister uh, who, who made a lot of the stuff happen. Like her sister was a driving force but behind um, them actually getting into flight. Like they were kind of like, I don't know, shitty people is, is probably how I'd say it now. Behi- but behind every good then, pair of brothers, there's a sister. Hey, Heather. Yeah, or Riley. I guess. It was a weird relationship <laughs> with them, like their brother and sister thing. Weird relationship. Uh, North Carolina, Kitty Hawk. Uh, yeah, was sand? Was it a beach? Don't know. D- was it beach? Dooney? It was. Yeah, dunes. I, yeah, yeah. So, and it was. Okay, you've, was you've it was upon the, the most important thing, though, right? Which is we all Flying. know that first flight, right? Did yeah. In a so there was a period of time in which this was in dispute. Where humans never flew, a majority <laughs> of the time. <laughs> this is okay. That's accurate. That's I think that's fair to say. But I want to take you back to a different time, uh, the period between 1903 and 1948. Wait, so, 1903 into 1948. That's okay. a big stretch of time. Until 1948, when there was uh, what we're going to to go over uh, is Orville Wright and the Smithsonian. Was Orville Wright still alive in 1948? Um, uh, he died early that year. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Now Wilbur, Wilbur, on the other hand, died. I think in like 1906. I think something like that. Like he died relatively. He was like, not I flew. I'm out. Yeah, what do I mean, he get? went out on t- he went out on top. He went out on top. <laughs> the real winner like, was two Wilbur. football fields. I'm out, <laughs> and then he just coasted. <laughs> That's crazy. That our grandparents were still were like not even just barely, but like alive. they were yeah. very well alive. They were like in their 20s, and they could have been like, "Hey, Orville, what's up?" Yep, they could have ran into him on the streets. Yeah. So we we had a conversation about bird strikes during Jared's goose adventure, and. There was a, a mention in there about something about the Smithsonian and the Wright brothers. And the first bird strike. It was uh, Wilbur Wright, by the way, who killed it, who, who died two years later, because he was the one who was like, I'm going to go chase these birds down. I, we say bird strikes, and I, you know, now that I'm thinking about that podcast, he was, it was on him. Sully, if you remember that podcast, he didn't like f- f- intentionally fly to that flock of birds. Now, 
ever since then, he's been going around the country and murdering birds. He calls them, he calls it sullying a flock. That's just a <laughs> thing that he does, like to and act his revenge. It's That's congressionally what. approved action. It's because he's a hero. Yeah, he's he's a hero. got a tax stamp for it and everything. It's totally fine. He can murder any migratory bird he wants. Secondly, I believe all three branches of government said that it was a one-man task like, force. It was like the Sully, one time that Sully the government Burton. in the last 40 years has done anything in like a bipartisan, unanimous. They're like, yep. Sully can murder whatever bird he wants to. And Godspeed. Yes. Uh, yep. Like it's National a job. treasure. So yeah, every, everyone he kills, he gets a Medal of Freedom. Every, every bird. <laughs> wow. He has 40,000 Medal of Freedoms right now. Anyway. Uh, and then Wilbur was the one who was like intentionally like chasing birds down. So I don't know if that contributed to his death two years later, but uh, anyway, okay, yeah. So we were talking about that's yeah. But I remember yeah. the Smithsonian. Somebody just mentioned that the, it was the an right offhand. It was an offhand comment yeah, about the right player. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, interesting story, which I, I think we would say that the the Smithsonian Institute is basically considered like the national, other than like the Library of Congress, right? It's one of the big. Uh, houses of record of history in the United States. I believe Samuel Clemens. Is it Mark Twain? Mark Twain called it uh, America's Attic. Oh, nice. oh no. That's, that's I just good. realized something. I just realized something. Okay. I just realized with like, this is, this is going to be episode seven. And like every time we've, we've talked about anything, it turns out everything is awful. Are you oh. about to ruin the Smithsonian no. for me? No, no, no. Actually. The the tale I I will uh, we're going to go through. Are you going to ruin the Wright brothers? For it me? pays off. At, no, actually. Oh so, my gosh! This would be a first for us on Polynodal. So we know, first flight, Kitty Hawk, Wright brothers, December seventeenth, nineteen oh three. Right, a day that'll live in infamy. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, what I want to do is introduce you to a couple of really really important people. The first one being Samuel Langley. Uh, Secretary of the Smithsonian Institute, uh, starting in 1887. He was a America's most influential scientist at the time. He helped establish international standardized time zones. That's like his one of his things. Um, hmm. So as was, a developer, I need to say, fuck that guy, because time zones are <laughs> the worst. Mm-hmm. Fuck. That. I'm sorry, what was his name again? Uh, Samuel really- Langley. Samuel Langley, go fuck yeah. yourself. That's all I have so, to say as a as a programmer. He was a he was a, he was a brilliant scientist. Brilliant scientist, not smart enough to perceive uh, computer science <laughs> that was going to be coming. Obviously, hundred years a later, century later, oh three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, he he couldn't see that coming, and he couldn't be like, "Oh, this is going to be hard." It's going to be real difficult. Yeah, for yeah. Folks. Great science. I'm sure he would say he's science, <laughs> great. Great science. I'm real wow. good at science. Fucking idiot. Well, as you're going to see, his his legacy definitely has some uh some holes in it. But so when he became the secretary of the Smithsonian Institute, he found himself with time and resources to pursue his passion in aviation. Um, and he started building large, like steam-powered, unmanned flying machines that he called aerodromes. They were like launched out of catapults. He had successfully flown unmanned flying machines. The the U.S. Army then, because of course, funded the Smithsonian to develop a manned aircraft at fifty thousand dollars, like in the late eighteen hundreds, which I think was three trillion dollars. So a lot yeah. of money. <laughs> if I were to do those, that I math. mean, so what? 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 What was the year again that the, the army contracted the Smithsonian to make a flying machine? Wait, wait, wait. This is the Smithsonian news. Institute was contracted to make yeah. a flying machine for the army. Uh, so uh, this would have been what eighteen ninety two. 
Yeah. To to make a manned to make a manned flight because he had already successfully with the Smithsonian hey, Daniel yes. shot things out it's of twenty twenty one. We say crude uh, now, not manned. Like it, it's a crude <laughs> oh, flight. Oh. Oh. All right. All right. At the time, it was manned. <laughs> and then mm. <laughs> setting the stage, right? So here's this guy. Developed and built these these um, crude flying machines with a male Good pilot. Good job. Um, Good job. <laughs> crude flying machines. Named, so Charles Manley uh, did identify as a male uh, and manned <laughs> the aircraft. Is that Jets. really his name? Yes. His name is Charles, Charles Manley. Manley. I'm not kidding. So... <laughs> Could not have said Dick that Manley. So Mr. Manley manned this aircraft, mm-hmm. and I think that's okay to say. With his penis, Kenton, <laughs> if that's okay with you. That's how it was you, controlled. That's how it was controlled, because that's all we knew how, because the patriarchy existed in like in a way that you can't even imagine now. Everything everything in the eight, just... late 1800s was dick-powered or dick-controlled <laughs> or whatever. He, was, he, he got into the cockpit. Oh, oh, there it is, right there. <laughs> that's how it got its. That's how and they it's were like, "How do its name?" You grab the stick. How do I start this thing up? You know, you grab the stick, grab the stick. and see this hole right here. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Charles Manley uh, attempted to fly uh, the aircraft twice uh, on s- the seventh of October and December eighth of nineteen o three. Failed both times. Four four years before the right. No, no, like literally. The Aerodrome A uh, had two failed flights, one in October and one of Dece- one on December 8th, like literally 10 days or what, nine before. days before, right? Yeah. Real quick, when we say fail. Okay, I was going to say like, fail. The yeah, tail fell apart. F- the other one it just dropped into the Potomac. We'll be in the Potomac. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any like uh, sort of description? Like, so like if I remember like the Rye Flyer, like it was a mm-hmm. biplane mm-hmm. with like a, t- with like a, the tail was in the front. And mm-hmm. it was also launched well, off. At that of, point, it was just called the front was, because they didn't. Like, <laughs> they didn't know if they, they flipped it flip around. And yeah, great. Yeah, it'd be great. Right. Yeah. It was. It was a little strange. Is the aerodrome like similarly built? Like, is it a, a similar no, sort of aircraft? No, it was a little more. It had it had two sets of of wings on on either side. It was like plane. a single deck. No, no, no. It was just like. Oh. One in front of the other with oh. like a person in between and a weird like a tail stabilizer guy. It's actually hanging mm-hmm. in the uh, the Smithsonian. Uh, the big one that's by Dulles, like the big hanger one by Dulles. Okay, so Samuel L. Langley dies in 1906, right? Complete failure. Um, they A lot of money and resources of the Smithsonian's was put into this. Uh, it didn't work out, right? The new secretary, Charles Walcott, uh, took it over at a time when the, both the institution and the position of the secretary itself were, were tarnished. It's not sitting great. Walcott was also very personally involved in the project he he helped push for it from a in his other role um and was very much like tied to its legacy uh in 1910 the uh, orville offered to donate the wright flyer to the smithsonian institute the wright flyer three right the one mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. walcott said no and instead requested a current aircraft to put into an exhibit Tying their current aircraft to the legacy of Langley. Mm-hmm. Orville uh, rightly was like, this doesn't check out. So Walcott uh, then contacts a gentleman by the name of Glenn Curtis. Glenn Curtis is a, like an aeronautical experimenter and aircraft manufacturer. He has an air, airplane and engine company and has been 
uh, in lawsuits with the Wright brothers for years, mainly stemming from the control system in his plane. Which was sticks sticks and wires? I mean, essentially? Like, what <laughs> well, was, was the control but system? But I mean, that's, that's technology. That's the first thing, that, like, that's still technology. It's a pioneer I, patent. I, I, so here's here here yeah. was the ruling, right? Was that oh, okay. so he lost his patent and they, they ruled that his control the control system was derivative of the Wright's patented system, but also that the Wright system was basically necessary for all aerial navigation, and it was the pioneer patent, the three axis flight model. It was theirs. So he lost that suit. His entire company was at stake. Walcott, right? wants to fix the reputation of the Smithsonian, he contacts Glenn Curtis in uh, 1914. Flights become very common at this point. Mm -hmm. Curtis took the Langley Aerodrome, which had been uh, on display at the Smithsonian, took it to New York, rebuilt it, making significant changes to the airframe wings, drivetrain controls, engine prop, moved from a, a used a pontoon system, got rid of the catapult, all this stuff, managed to make a few hop flights on the surface of the lake, uh, none lasting longer than a few seconds, uh, and could not be stained for more than a few hundred feet. Uh, the aircraft was returned to the Smithsonian, reconfigured back to its 1903 configuration, uh, with a label displaying first man-carrying aeroplane in the history of the world capable of sustained what? free flight. Basically saying that it flew now, so it Theoretically, Probably could, could have, have flew, flew then. In. That's that's the angle. Way to take. untarnish the Smithsonian. Fuck the Smithsonian. That's what I'm. Uh, I hope you're going to turn this around. So Curtis, <laughs> so Glenn, so Glenn Curtis, right, has this vested interest. If the Smithsonian can claim that Langley's aircraft flew first, then the Wright brothers no longer have the patent, the Pioneer okay. patent, Pioneer on patent. the control system. So Orville Wright, fucking livid, <laughs> just. As he should be. Absolutely pissed. So, he goes back to his little garage. I think they're in Ohio at this point. Restores... That's where where he was barnstorming birds, where his brother was. (laughs) Restores the right flyer one, and begins to take it around on his own, doing, like, special (laughs) events and showing and flying it, stuff like that. The Smithsonian still will not back down from this claim, right? They publish it... The uh, all the the officials of it, and it it starts to become like more this mainstream concept, right? It it was why spread would you, through why, media I mean, and it's news. It's the Smithsonian. Like, exactly. why would you? Why would you right. second? Yeah, the one who uh, writes the history book shit. writes the history. So here's what here's what Orville does. Um, he makes a call to his friends in London uh, and offers them the right flyer to display at the London Science Museum. But he believed that the American people would not stand to have the world, like the first plane sent to a foreign country. This is what he did. And he like published a letter talking about how I wish this wasn't necessary, but this literally stems from the nation's authority on these things and their big exhibits. Uh, It's like, it's their bust, right? Like the right flyer should be there or or not in the United States. I mean, we're talking, mm. so 1903, first flight, 1925 mm. now, Orville's over here, like, recognize I'm gonna it. it to, I'm going to give it to the I'm fucking Brits. It to, to, to the Brits, of all people. You don't want it? Fine. Of all people. Uh, <laughs> so, or, Orville sends it. it. It gets disassembled, crated, sent to London. Really? Where it will remain until 1948. Did it fly by a, did it go over there on a plane, or did it yes, go it by Yes, it was boat? transatlantic. No, it was on a boat. It was on a boat. So Charles Charles Walcott he dies. Oh. The next 
secretary of the Smithsonian uh, is Charles Abbott. Uh, Abbott was a close personal friend of Langley. Uh, he tried to negotiate a truce with Orville Ray in 1929. Orville, he balked when Orville demanded that they publish a list of all the modifications made to the 1914 version of the aerodrome uh, and retract the statement that it was capable of flight in its 1903 configuration. Abbott told Orville that he could not do anything that would embarrass the Smithsonian or Walcott. Uh, then Charles Lindbergh offered to also negotiate on behalf of Orville Wright and the Smithsonian, right? To try to uh, step in the middle of this, of this feud and try to find some outcome. To, to bridge the gap, to cross, cross the chasm, if you will. So that man couldn't bridge this gap, could not fix this rip. Stalemate, right? Just 100% stalemate. London's like just, they're showing it off. They're having a blast. Um, <laughs> Until it they're, becomes, they're buzzing, they're buzzing around Big Ben with it. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're <laughs> just flying it around. Orville had basically contracted a authorized biography. Fred C. Kelly entered this man. Part of Kelly's contract was to do everything in his power to um, rectify, to, revo- to to resolve the differences between the Smithsonian. And, and the Wright brothers. Like, that was part of his charge as an autobiographer, apparently. He was apparently also, like, a humorist. Uh, he was, uh, basically took this approach of he befriended both men, endeared himself to both of them, never really overly took one person's side, was apparently just a brilliant humorist, which I guess whatever that looks like in the 30s and stuff. Like, Did stand up. like vaudeville yeah. racist <laughs> so, vaudeville. Yeah, I don't know. He had a couple Netflix uh, comedy specials. So, <laughs> basically the angle that he took and, and there were a couple different times where like Abbott maybe stopped replying but he was always able to pull him back to the table. Um, but the invention of the airplane was a national pride. The exile of the Wright Flyer to England was a, this constant embarrassment to the Smithsonian that they, that they didn't have it and Orville wasn't going to give it to them until they actually they did these things and and righted it. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. So, yeah, right so, their wrongs. The board the 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 board of regents of Smithsonian pressured Abbott to end it, but also didn't want to bring any additional embarrassment. Additionally, uh, the other guy that we talked about, Walcott, right? That dude's son is on the board of regents. Doesn't want his father's name, like, drugged. So this Abbott guy is like, didn't he inherited this thing <laughs> and has to try to find some way out of it. Fred, uh, yeah, Fred Kelly sits Abbott down and basically says, look, Wright's an old guy. He could die at any point in time. If you I don't that was like, fix this I thought that before was like he dies, there's no I coming thought back. Was, <laughs> I thought you were saying... <laughs> Look, I, oh, he, like I, if you don't, I will murder Orville Wright. Like, I don't know. Old people die all the time. Old people die. Old people. That's die a nice Orville Wright. Be ashamed if something happened to okay. it. So okay, didn't take a nefarious twist. All right, but he's saying like, if so, we don't fix this before he dies, yeah, like, that's, sorry, no, yeah. So he's saying like, yeah, if we're kind of fucked. The Smithsonian will. Yeah, this will. Great. He'll take it with him. Like, As he should Orville's be. Orville's stubborn about yeah. this. Yeah. Probably rightfully so. Right. Uh, they have a lot of like correspondence from between like Abbott and Kelly and Kelly and Orville, right? Where he's basically informing both of them where mm-hmm, the other mm-hmm. one is and where they want to be. Finally, Abbott says, "Okay, I'm gonna pin this apology 
Like, whatever it needs to be, mm-hmm. well, let's write this, let's put it behind us. Because, like, like, like Kelly said, if, if he dies, there's no coming back from it. The right. Sosonian will forever be the bad guys, right? Because Orville will not have got to, to see this happen. And because Orville's big thing was, like, he 100% right. wanted the flyer to come home. And, but it was contingent on this. And he was well, basically like, holding it At any point, it and I totally get it, that. too, because at any point, if he had backed down, if he had changed that, then he was buying into their version of history. He, he mm-hmm. can't do that. Then, then they're holding all the cards, and he's got to, yeah, that makes sense. So 1942. Sorry, the 1942, the Wright Flyer is still not in the Smithsonian Museum in the United States of America. Jesus, okay. Correct. I had no idea the Wright Flyer was like, in London for well no. two two great. I just wars. assumed it was in the Smithsonian the entire the time. entire time. They like, like they I thought they it, landed it. They flew it and then they yeah. landed it. And they took it right, right to the Smithsonian. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I totally agree. Like, yeah, yeah. No, we just uh, hey hey guys uh, yeah can you get your uh, manager no this uh, yeah this is just like the first plane or whatever like we just kind of right. made it what it says it first go. airplane I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? Do you know what we're just calling it an airplane? I don't even know. Do you have a drop? Is this the low? Do you have a drop off? Like a drop off? I think you're going to. Do work. I get a receipt for that? Or do you. <laughs> drop off? Because <laughs> I can write this me. off. Yeah. There's a tax. There is tax implications that you have to consider. All right. So 1942 Smithsonian annual report gets published with the following. Uh, I'm just going to read the the very beginning of this. It says, uh, (laughs) so by C.G. Abbott, this paper has been submitted to Dr. Orville Wright and under date of October 8th, 1942, he states that the paper as now prepared will be acceptable to him if given adequate publication. And then it says, the very first paragraph is, it is everywhere acknowledged that the Wright brothers were the first to make sustained flights in a heavier-than-air machine at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina on December 17, 1903. Then he goes on to say, uh, blah, 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 a bunch of stuff about what Walcott did with Curtis and reconfiguring oh, like, and straight flying up, like, it again come, and like, claiming like not that even, it would like, have just, flown just wow. full-on, come clean, all of it. It talks about like every label that was on the Langley machine. Uh, then goes in to say a comparison of the Langley machine of 1903 with the Hammond Sport machine of May, June, 1914. And lists, like Orville requested, all the specifications of both aircrafts, including every difference, uh, as to which very little is the same. <laughs> and so this is in the annual report within, like, if we publish this, then we'll get, we'll get the right flyer, is essentially what he's saying. Uh, so that's part of it. So it ends with the fifth one, I think, is probably the one that had to be like approved a bunch of times, right? Like, yeah, I could imagine the emails back and forth or however they did things back then. <laughs> uh, but it says, so the flights of the Langley Aerodrome uh, having been made long after flying had become a common art and with changes of the machines indicated uh, did not warrant the statements published by the Smithsonian Institute and the tests proved that the, oh, that the tests proved that the Langley machine was capable of sustained flight. Um, if this public, if the publication of this paper should clear the way for Dr. Wright to bring back to America, the Kitty Hawk machine to which all the world awards first place, it will be a source of profound and enduring gratification of his countrymen. Should he decide to deposit the plane in the United States National Museum, the Smithsonian, it would be given the highest place of honor, which it is due. Orville 
100% buries the fucking hatchet. Literally goes to Washington, calls London, says, we're bringing it home, right? Like, do, like starts the ball rolling. Get those crates out of storage, Elizabeth. <laughs> Elizabeth? Elizabeth? George. George? There is a couple of things that happen. One, he promised to allow the museum in London the time to reconstruct a replica, basically for them to display, while they still had it. So they do that. That's part of it. So Because this is 1942. It doesn't come back till 1948. There were some other war things happening in between there, but <laughs> that I think may have impacted this timeline. There is a picture on Wikipedia of Langley's steam-powered aerodrome. Oh, I guess it wasn't manned. Correct. But... Wow, yeah, no. Do you see aerodrome this? Aerodrome number five in flight. Do you see how fucking high it is? Yeah. And it looks insane. Uh, but I guess they... You know what? But, uh, you know, I kind of get... Yeah! I kind of understand it a little I bit more. I know! Like, I'm like, you could... You, we could have put a person on it, I guess. Oh, he was very prominent for a reason. Photo by Alexander Graham Bell. Did you see that? <laughs> Just, you know... From an instantaneous photograph by Alexander Graham Bell. Fucking made a Polaroid. I just took a Polaroid. Alexander Graham Bell took a Polaroid of this thing and was just like, I've got this new camera technology. Go fly. Go fly. Go your fly it plane. around. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to take a what? I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to take a picture of it. Just shut up. Just go fly it. You'll see it. You'll see it when I'm done. Yeah. No, this thing is, that thing is, okay. Is it fly? I mean, okay. It's not controlled. I mean, like, it's just like shooting a, like, would you say shooting a paper plane into the air? Yeah, they were giant paper airplanes. The, uh, like, controlled flight. This is the thing. They were like yeah. giant paper airplanes, right? Like, the Wright brothers invented a control system. That was the, that was what their so, patent was. Uh, yeah. Okay, so Langley began experimenting rubber band. Uh, Kipling around this time, who described one of Langley's experiments. Through Roosevelt, I met Professor Langley of the Smithsonian an old man who had designed a model aeroplane driven by a miniature flash boiler engine. It flew on trial over 200 yards and drowned itself in the waters of the Potomac, which was caused for great mirth and humor to the press of his country. <laughs> great job, press. Hey, look at you trying to, trying to do a new thing that humans have never done, you ha. idiot. What a, what a waste of government money. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was worldwide... That like worldwide in the newspapers, that like machine did not fly. Uh, like I think one newspaper, it said like it described it as uh, like plummeted into the Potomac, like a like a, I mean essentially like a bag of bricks, right? Like this dude was hooked up, like you just said. Uh, Rudyard <laughs> Rudyard yeah. Kipling described it this way, right? Uh, <laughs> and then here's a photo from Alexander Graham Bell and uh, like Roosevelt. Roosevelt yeah. uh, introduced me to Professor Langley. <laughs> you know, Jesus. which Roosevelt is that? It's Teddy. It's got to be Teddy. It's got to be my boy. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, but um, yeah, like, I mean, like, I, so I don't want to slag this dude off. Like, this, he was doing some shit. Like, that thing flew. Uh, they didn't put a person on it yet, but they, they were. Yes, gunning. he had a lot of air, aviation accomplishments prior to his failed manned flights. So. Here, here's the big thing, right? So Lang Langley had been a, an experimenter, right? And so he had flown these big, these big things. They were they were always catapulted. The Wright brothers deviated from the majority of like those that were developing flying machines at the time. 
I mean, they literally, I mean, there were a lot of gliders, uh, they were, which are, you know, uh, lighter than air versus heavier than air type of flight. Right. Um, and he controlled that by like shifting, like the, the gliders were controlled by shifting weight, which affected roll and pitch. Right. Mm-hmm. The three axis control of roll, pitch, and yaw is what the Wright brothers developed, right. which allowed them to sustain flight by having that control system. Right. They actually developed the three-axis controls in 1902. That's what they patented. They put the controls together um, with a propulsion system, and that's what created sustained power flight. And, yeah, okay. So e- even, that makes a whole lot of sense. And, and that's where, like, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is they're wrong. And obviously they said they were wrong and I still agree that they were wrong, but I also get like just the chapped ass that they probably had to have of like, <laughs> this sucks. Like, oh, right. oh, this is all we were trying to, okay, well, yeah. Now we had all this other stuff and, and then two brothers in a bicycle right. shop. Yeah, the Wright, Blur- Wright brothers, sure, they did that, that thing. Like they, they flew for a couple hundred football, uh, football fields uh, <laughs> about six feet off the ground, but like, did you see how high we can go? Did you see how fast our engine is? Did you, and yeah, like just letting that sit and fester, I guess it, I can it, understand. It, it wasn't that like Orville had like thought that they didn't have a flying machine of some kind. Like it wasn't a, it, it was the claim that they, that they made that was a really politically motivated at that, that chapped yeah. his ass, right? That was, yeah. it was 100% that, the the idea he wasn't like trying to discredit Langley he just wanted credit for for his for right. him and his brother's yeah. accomplishment right okay and yeah that makes sense that's and again I mean there's a reason why the Aerodrome A still is in the Smithsonian Institute because it still yep. was a, a flying machine that moved important. things forward right like right I think I think the real villain is Glenn Curtis that fucking guy. Trying to all right, yeah. Tell tell me who trying to, to yeah. like override their pa- patent for commercial reasons and offering to like yes. Oh hey, that original airplane, I can I can make that thing fly and prove that you know th- that it flew first, right? Like what a smarmy motherfucker. <laughs> and like essentially at that point, just to rewrite history, that's it. The only reason that existed was just to claim yeah. first. I mean. Like just to it hack was nineteen fourteen. He still could only make the thing fly two hundred feet. Like, right? What a chump! Yeah, what a. Ch- that's not even a whole football field. It's not even a whole football field, <laughs> and that's the only thing that matters. Yep, and and I think Orville Wright, uh, like, definitely comes out of this uh, because again, he he constantly initiated trying to fix this thing. Uh, the contracts and stuff were all drawn up. Uh, to where he would sell it to the Smithsonian for a dollar. Uh, the United States would guarantee the aircraft be displayed prominently in the Capitol and be identified as the first heavier-than-air flying machine in which men made a controlled and powered flight uh, and the airplanes to be valued at a dollar for tax purposes, uh, which I think is funny. <laughs> he knows what he knew he, what yeah. he was doing there. So he's making these plans. So they want to announce it on the anniversary of the of the flight. Something kind of gets in the way. Enter FDR, who's like, well, I'd like to make a big thing about this. And so he 
steps in and says, like, let's do a dog and pony show. Let me announce it at this thing. Uh, and we'll do that. Right. So that delays it a little bit longer. Orville travels all the way to DC, um, gets kind of pissed off when um, FDR doesn't show. Um, what? FDR stood him up? Well, not yeah. stood him up. FDR couldn't stand. Oh. But FDR sh- uh, <laughs> no, just well, didn't show up. Here's the thing. FDR had a good reason, so he had just returned. Polio. He had just returned, actually, from his meetings with, like, Stalin and Churchill. Oh, okay, yeah, that guy. okay. Uh, so, but, so, but remember, like, his state was Churchill. kept a secret. Yeah. Like, the fact that he was completely and utterly, like, exhausted from a 7,000-mile round-trip journey or whatever uh, was not public knowledge, and so he couldn't attend this thing, and, and Orville was, like, fucking pissed to the point where he's supposed to like deliver a speech and stuff and then like award this thing to this general and give him an envelope and stuff and literally orville it doesn't say a word gives the envelope to the dude goes and sits back down right so like imagine like an oscar ceremony <laughs> he does the sport he's like i'm only here because right. I don't he literally get does this, this he's this like move. that yeah. whatever that <laughs> that, that nascar <laughs> driver whatever i'm Best only here player. so i don't get fine i think it was an nba but, player uh, that did that stuff. but yeah. whatever yeah. Yeah. um yeah, yeah. i'm so only here because i don't like, get fine and then just goes and sits down and then apparently the general like was like covered for him with like some type of joke and it was fine uh but this was all. Ooh, what was I the joke? It didn't what was say, the joke? Uh, for, uh, it was probably some type yeah, of terrible forties. First humor. in flight. Know, first back to the first, seat. First. Yeah, I knew Kenton's gonna. Kenton's gonna have. Kenton's gonna have a number. Kenton, go ahead. A and couple. Give me, like, give me at least a couple. Give me quips. two more. Okay, so. All right, I, I got to get in there. I got to get in the head of this general. Uh, okay, so uh, they're, they're first, announcing first the, the flyer coming first home. First back to the seat. Like that's part of this whole thing. Yeah, uh, the right, right flyer flew for 200 yards, and uh, Orville said the whole time, nothing. Um, <laughs> their uh, controlled flight and control of his lips. I, yeah. Oh. Um, I thought those oh, were going to be better. Those, those were, were better. God, you really... You're, I th- I really you know what thank yeah, God, I really, you're, so you weren't the one we're going to leave we're going to leave all three of those in let me let me do a couple let me try <clears throat> oh man uh, uh Orville Wright uh everybody uh no that's really hard yeah. <laughs> it's just not override everybody uh you can fly just can't apparently give me the fucking time of day i would have been really mad if i was a <laughs> fuck that guy Orville Wright more like Orville wrong. It's just the uh, Orville right or Orville right now. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Mister <laughs> Mister right now. So you know what's gonna happen is that not at uh, three o'clock in the morning, uh, I'm gonna come up with a really yeah. good <laughs> fake joke for that general about Orville right, and it'll be way too late. But we can maybe edit it in through the well, power yeah. of Garage Band magic. All right, so this all gets announced. Orville right dies suddenly of a heart attack in January 1948 while the Wright Flyer is still in England. But he has made all the arrangements. Everything's in order. Uh, it's up to his... It's up to he his, never got to see it come to yeah. the fucking So it's up to his estate now to finish it. But it was... Oh, but it was, yeah, that's a it bummer. Is, but it was all agreed upon. It was... It, he had buried the hatchet with the Smithsonian. They, de- they definitely recognized it. It was a matter of getting it, getting it home safely, right? And so, 
it, it so there was an elaborate ceremony on December seventeenth, nineteen forty-eight, forty-five years to the day after its flight, uh, that it was installed in the Smithsonian. Just a, a a side note, right? Lindbergh's Spirit of St. Louis was the predominant aircraft in that hangar at the time, in, in that uh, part of the museum. And they informed him that his plane would be moved back to make room for the right flight. And Lindbergh said uh, he would be honored to, to have the Spirit share the hall oh, okay. with the world's first aircraft. Uh, and so that is how eventually in 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 1948, after a century across the pond, America's pride and joy of human flight uh, were turned home. And, I mean, Orville did get to experience the Smithsonian apologizing, ending the feud, right? Like, I think that's the, I think that's the important thing to yeah. focus on. And, and to ensure that, like, that legacy is secured. The Smithsonian also, um, the way that Abbott wrote the letter, the Smithsonian, like, it was a win-win all around, finally, right? Like, Abbott spent a lot of time under immense pressure, and that, like, there are letters that Orville wrote to Abbott, too, saying, like, I understand all the pressures you were under. I appreciate your situation. I'm glad we were able to, like, figure this out. The, uh, the, the right flyer now hangs predominantly in uh, Washington, D.C., in the National Museum, uh, and then as does the Aerodrome A at the Smithsonian Air and Space uh, Museum. I, Annex I, I have airport. to say this because I love this shit, and it makes me almost choke up as a human being. Uh, but obviously we know that the Wright Flyer, uh, a piece of fabric and piece of wood was taken to right. the moon by Neil Armstrong oh. on Apollo 11. It was flown, it was flown back. I wish they would have left it there. That's my gripe. <laughs> oh my uh, fucking Neil Armstrong. If you're listening, I know you're a fan. <laughs> uh, you should have left it there. Uh, they, they brought it back. Um, and it's on the display. It's on display at the visitor center at the Wright Brothers National Museum in Kitty Hawk. Uh, then a piece of wood and fabric was taken on the Challenger, and the reason was is because Michael Smith was a native of uh -huh. North Carolina. Uh, so, uh, so that was lost. Uh, obviously burned up. But then. Oh my God, you guys, a piece of the right flyer. And I knew this, but still, when you fucking think about it, uh, of the wing fabric is attached to the Ingenuity helicopter uh, on what? Kurt Mars. Yeah. The first uh the first vehicle to perform a controlled atmospheric flight on another fucking planet and it's got a piece of the original like fucking orville and wilbur wright like doped that shit you know what i mean they went like they they found that piece of fabric they put dope on it they were like it's the original like they, they fucking touched it and it's on mars and flying around god, god flying is around kidding me cool as shit it's just flying around not really like it's hard to fly on mars and god bless ingenuity it's doing its best yeah. Uh, you know, it, it sits there and hovers for a while because uh, it's mostly propeller. Mm -hmm. as, it's mostly two propellers because that's how it works. But yeah, there's a piece of uh, the right flyer on Mars right now. Flying. Like, that's... I think the the danger that we really need to at least mention 
in in this conversation about it is that if we start going to other planets and we we do the, how much how much right fly are we going to have <laughs> the year is 3535 we're running out of <laughs> we're running out we, of right flyer actually, parts at this point we're not even sure planets. these are right flyer parts it's just pieces uh, you from know the what? bicycle shop it's it's the sh- it's the ship of theseus at this point yeah uh, you know what if at some point humanity spread across the galaxy so much that we just ran out of right flyer and it was just straight it was just in pieces in splinters and threads across the universe i think orville Wright would be happy with that that's another node in the network of human knowledge next time i talk about the haunted vending machine in seattle there's always more to learn visit polynodalpodcast.com for notes links and images about this episode as well as previous shows polynodal is written and produced by daniel green jared green and kenton hansen edited by kenton hansen mastered by jared green music by cademan green